Hello, and welcome to the Alka Huh Podcast, the podcast that says, I'm really drunk. I wonder why that happened. I'm EJ. I'm Beth. And we're going to fire you off tonight with a little bit of a story. Beth, um, pretend it is 5,000 years ago. Oy you, vey. Yeah, it, it's 5,000 years ago, and you live uh, in some little barbarian community, a village somewhere, and I live clear across the continent of Europe in some other little barbarian village somewhere. And you want to send me some correspondence. You want to talk to me because you well, like me. Well, of course. Why wouldn't I want yeah. to talk to you? So what would you do? How would you get a message to me? Smoke signals would not work. No. Uh, you could perhaps hire a courier, right? Possibly. Right, and the message might get to me, and it might Payment not. Payment on delivery. Ah. But how long do you think it would take him to walk that far? Because even if he had a horse, I mean, the horse would... Months live. and months. Hmm. It could take a really long time. Okay, fast forward a little bit uh, to the Roman Empire. Uh, you uh, still want to talk to me. You're uh, in Rome, and you're living a lavish lifestyle at a beautiful villa, and I'm somewhere in uh, northern Africa on some stupid campaign because you would not make a good centurion. We just established that. (laughs) (coughs) So how would you contact me then? Same way, similar, right? No smoke signals. Hire a courier. Get in touch with me. Okay, and then shoot way forward to the American Old West. And you are... The Pony Express. Yeah, you're living on the East Coast. I'm I'm out here. I'm assuming before telegrams. Right, right. Okay. And then, move forward to telegrams. Okay, you send me a telegram. What time do I go in there to get it? You know, how long does it take to relay? Okay, and then Alexander Graham Bell invents the telephone. All of a sudden... You still won't talk to me because you hate talking on the phone. You decide you want to call me, and you're living in a beautiful mansion on the East Coast, and I'm still out here in the West... Granted, time has come forward a little bit, and we have telephone lines and service, but... You still won't answer your phone because you hate talking on the phone. That's really beside the point. I don't like talking on the phone. But how, how do you know that that number or that phone that you pick up is going to connect to the phone that I'm attached to at the other end? You have to talk to an operator. They have to connect to another switchboard. Switchboard, switchboard, switchboard. And how many people are listening to my conversation? Exactly. And oh, there's some juicy gossip there. Yep. So, all that was a reality. Uh, But in the 40s, the Bell Corporation, which was in charge of all the telephones, and AT&T came up with something called the North American Numbering Plan. That way, someone living on the East Coast could contact someone living anywhere else uh, just by dialing them directly instead of having to go through a switchboard and an operator who's listening to your phone calls. Or a party line. Right. So they came up with this plan along with some other independent companies at the time and it was implemented in October of 1947. And initially uh, local exchanges were interconnected by tie trunks and each local company had to come up with their own number plans. That made the operation really inefficient. And 
As far as how many companies had their own number plans, I don't know. I couldn't find anything. But I'm thinking like switchboard and operator. <clears throat> I might be wrong. There wasn't a whole lot of information in the limited research I could do on this. And in October of 1947, most of North America was divided into 86 numbering plans. But the first direct customer call with area codes was on November 10th, 1951. That's four years. And what was happening in the meantime? Maybe they were prepping the system, getting people ready. I don't know. That's insane to think that it was really not all that long ago. No, not at all. And um, by the early 60s, it was relatively commonplace. So it still took a good decade to really get the system to function correctly. Like, it was set up so places like... Uh, New York City, okay? Uh, they were divided up, and it was set up so that you could still call Betsy down the street without having to dial a great big bunch of numbers. Uh, by 1967, 129 area codes existed. So they added over 40 in just that short amount of time. But not all of North America, uh, all the countries here anyways, uh, participated. Mexico actually had two initially, uh, but they chose to go with like the international dialing number, what the format to uh, call internationally, anyways. And I think it was like not until 1991 or something like that before those two area codes that were in Mexico were actually given to other places. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's crazy, and. Uh, the regional service areas, which got changed to number numbering plan areas, uh, they're identified as that three-digit code number, which you think of as an area code. <clears throat> but your three-digit code number routed you to the central office. The next three digits. But they were limited to 540 of the next three digits, not 999. Why? Well... I'll get there. But the last four is the the station number. And each central office could serve 10,000 station numbers. That's obvious. Zero, 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 all the way up to 9999. Um, states that had to be divided into more than one area, they got the middle digit of the area code as one. And states that weren't divided, or provinces, because Canada was involved too, and some other countries, uh, the middle number was zero. So, the central office codes then, that we were talking about, uh, they were restricted from having a one or a zero in the middle, because the operating system at the time, the machines, or whatever they had in place, maybe it was a personal switchboard, uh, they would recognize it as two area codes. So, automatically, you can't have a 202-202. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. All right. Um, they also couldn't start with zero. Why? Operator. That was the common code for operator. Remember, we're talking about a time when they're dealing with rotary phones. Touchtone phones didn't come out for a long time after this. I remember rotary phones. And the places with the bigger populations there would be more calls coming in 
So they got the one in the middle because it was the shortest dial. I want you to know that I'm and, so old school that my play kitchen had a rotary phone on it. Yeah, well, my phone with eyes that I drug around the house and it looked up and down a bunch of times and had a mouth. It also had a rotary on it, a dial. Um, okay. <laughs> I distracted you. Way distracted me. Um, they also couldn't start with either. Uh, I said that already. And, oh, the number one. It was ignored because it, it comes across the system as a pulse. And sometimes there's false positives for pulses and stuff. So they didn't actually... So they didn't have to dial one before they dialed their area code. Not at that time. Also, the last two digits of an area code couldn't be the same. Because they were designated for special services. Can you think of any special services where that would be important? Military, I'm assuming? No, you're, you're overthinking it. Okay, if my area code is... 911. There you are. Right. You've got the 911, you've got the 411, and a lot of central offices were using those as special codes anyways. Interesting, isn't it? Area codes. Who'd, who'd have thunk? And the uh, central office codes, you got your area code, then your next three digits, they were based on a digit-to-letter mapping system that got brought up. Okay? So, like, uh, the first two digits represent the first two letters of the central office's name. Yeah. Okay, so, what can't it start with? You need to look at your phone? No, I'll tell you. Okay. Does the number one have any letters? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L. Right? Okay. Okay. So... Investigate that later. So really, it was it was two letters and five numbers that made up the phone number. Uh, for example, AT dash one two three four five. Still seven digits on your phone, but not seven numerical keys. Um, New Jersey received the first area code. It was two o one. Just in case you're wondering, <laughs> and remember that divided states would have had a one in the middle so like areas like new york or california or somewhere with a dense population that they couldn't stick to their ten thousand per provider uh limit they would have something like a 212 or something like that because they couldn't have 211 because service number and also there was a in the first list of the 87 or whatever numbers of the first area codes, there was no Alaska or Hawaii. Because they weren't states yet. <laughs> it happened in 1947. And this didn't, or they didn't become states until the 50s. Uh, but I'm curious still how they, you know, implemented that system, especially in Hawaii, uh, with the underwater cables and stuff. What year they got actual working telephones, landlines. Or um, what the area codes would be. But that's all I've got for this. I've decided to be a little nostalgic this time and discuss my very favorite food at Thanksgiving. Macaroni corn casserole. Oh, I love it. Well, that's really good, but it's not the ultimate Thanksgiving food. 
green bean casserole. Canned jellied cranberry sauce. Really? It's delicious. Really? You can't eat turkey without it. I can eat turkey without it. You're one of those people. Yeah, I am. And to start out, though, I'm going to give a brief history on cranberries. Native Americans were the first to cultivate cranberries in North America. And cranberries were not marketed and sold commercially until the mid-18th century. Henry Hall, a Revolutionary War vet... What was his middle initial? It didn't say, and I didn't look. Was it an H? I don't know if it was an H. Was he Triple H? Did he call himself the game? He probably didn't. Is But he was often credited with planning the first known commercial cranberry bed in Dennis, Massachusetts in eighteen. Did he have entrance music? There was no entrance music. I feel like he could have been a wrestler. The British were harvesting the berries a decade earlier from the United States from seeds that had been sent over from the U.S. In the 1930s, cranberry farmers switched from dry to wet harvesting. Cranberries are grown on vines and can either be picked individually by hand, which is referred to as dry harvesting. It would take a long time. A really long time with a lot of people. Or by flooding the bog, causing the berries to float to the top, which is referred to as wet. How did they flood the bogs? Did they did they build levees and then put in like little dam systems? Well, I didn't go into the whole back history on cranberries itself. I'm giving you a brief overview. Podcast topic for another time for you on how they flooded the bog. How to make a flood? <laughs> that sounds great. Add water. Stop it from running away. Switching from dry to wet changed the berry growing industry again. What used to take a week could be accomplished in an afternoon. And instead of needing 20 or 30 people teams to harvest, it turned into four or five person teams. Like that old man and his son that stand in the hip waiters and tell me about stuff. Yes, on the commercials that everybody has seen. With their juice drink that's good with vodka. <laughs> Um, according to the Smithsonian.com, Americans c- consume almost 4 million pounds of cranberries in the form of jellied cranberry sauce a year. That's a lot. That's a whole lot. And there's 200 berries in each can on average for a can of jellied cranberries. I could see that. And only 5% of America's total cranberry crop is sold as fresh fruit. Well, I suppose, because it gets turned into that, it gets turned into drinks, it... Yeah. Craisins? <laughs> Craisins. A hundred years ago, cranberries were only available fresh for about two months of the year. Mid-September until about mid-November, which made them the perfect Thanksgiving. Right. Very seasonal fruit. In 1912, Marcus L. Uran changed the cranberry industry forever. Why, why did you tell me his middle initial? Because you wanted to know... I, I can't think of a pro wrestler that would apply to. Um, Marcus had been, an, <laughs> been a lawyer originally, but then at the turn of the 20th century, he left his career behind to buy a cranberry bog. And being the savvy businessman he was... He set up a cooking facility at a packing house in Hanson, Massachusetts, with the idea of canning his cranberries, thus making his berries a year-round product. Do you have a year on that? 
1912 is when he bought his cranberry bog. Okay. So shortly thereafter. I wonder if they were can-canned or if they were jar-canned. You know what I mean? That's interesting. From what I read, they were jar-canned originally, and it didn't switch over to the can-can. Actually, the jellied cranberry sauce log that we are all familiar with now became available nationwide only in 1941. Really? Yeah. 1941. You could have had cranberries before you could have called me Um, if we were living on the opposite sides of the country. Cranberry juice cocktail was not introduced until 1933. So, you're telling me that people were suffering from some UTIs and couldn't do anything about it. Exactly. That's the only reason anybody would really want to drink cranberry juice, isn't it? I don't know. I don't, I don't know about that at all. Some people really enjoy it, I bet. It's a good mixer. With vodka. Yeah, it's a good mixer. Um, according to worldatlas.com, the top ten countries in cranberry production are thus as follows. Number ten is Spain at 100 tons a season. It's Num- a little, little weak. Number nine is Tunisia. At 205 tons. Number eight is Macedonia at 264 tons of cranberries a season. Number seven is Romania at 464 tons. The Ukraine comes in at number six with 800 tons. Latvia has 1,500 tons of cranberries a season. And number four, I'm missaying this completely, is Azerbaijan, A-Z-E-R-B-A-I-J-A-N. If somebody wants to send us the correct pronunciation of that, that'd be great. We would appreciate it. We're unfamiliar with that country. Comes in at 2,400 tons. Belarus has 6,500 tons. Canada is number two with 122,084 tons. But the number one spot, can you guess what it is? Nothing in the Southern Hemisphere. It's the United States. I'm so surprised. At 405,770 tons of cranberries a season. It's a lot of cranberries. But I've, you know, drawing a mental map in my head around the globe. There's a line. They're obviously a temperate fruit. Um, why isn't there anything in the southern hemisphere, though? We have alternating seasons. It's too uh, hot. No, it's not too hot. It's not too hot at all. There's got to be somewhere in the southern hemisphere that would be okay for cranberries. Maybe there's somewhere that they grow them, but they don't make the top ten list. Maybe the southern hemisphere just does not love the jelly cranberry as much. Well, maybe not. But still, I mean, you know, somewhere in South America, or maybe even Australia. Somewhere along the coast, probably. Not in that. Alright, listeners, this is where you come in. If any of you know of any southern hemisphere areas that grow cranberries, seriously, our inquiring minds want to know. Also, tell us about um, your local area codes, at least for your country or whatever, before the international calling code. We'd be interested to know. 
Uh, you can get a hold of us at alkaha at gmail.com. We have a Facebook and a Twitter page. That's also right. at alkaha. Right, and you can listen to us on your favorite streaming service, obviously. Um, if you would get on your iTunes or your Stitcher or whatever service you listen to us on, uh, if you would leave us a rating and review, that would really help us out uh, getting the word out that we exist, actually. And we'd just like to hear from you. If you just want to contact us and tell us your favorite alcoholic beverage, some great questions that you came up with while you were drinking, we'd love to know. We're always interested in feedback. True story. Well, this was the Alcohol Podcast. I'm EJ. I'm Beth. Take care, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye.